We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Go episode 656 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, September 14th, 2023. Can we all agree that we all on Thursday night are back to being Kirk Cousins fans? <laughs> Can we say that? Can we do that? No matter where you stood on the issue of Kirk when he was with the Redskins, it is Kirk who on Thursday night can do his former team, now known as the Commanders of Solid. Thursday night football, Kirk and the Minnesota Vikings are at the Philadelphia Eagles at 8-15. The Commanders, Eagles, and Dallas Cowboys are part of a vicious three-way tie atop the NFC East. Each team 1-0 and in this 2023 NFL regular season. Kirk can aid the Commanders' quest to win the NFC East. Come on, Kirk. Know that Washington, D.C. is back to being behind you, at least on this night. I'm a little bit more (laughs) process-oriented. That's right, Kirk. Process-oriented. Let the process reign supreme at the Eagles on Thursday night. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, a podcast that covers Washington, D.C. area sports like no other podcast or show. This is not a sports podcast or show that uh, lectures you about life, lectures you about, you know, politics or social issues or anything like those things. No, trust me, there are plenty (laughs) of sports podcasts and shows that do that. We leave the lecturing to other people. This is a sports podcast that talk sports. Imagine that. And we right now have a lot of sports to discuss. The Commanders practice week for their game at the Denver Broncos this Sunday afternoon at 425 has begun. Coming up over the next two segments, a lot of Commanders 
conversation. Uh, we have comments from head coach Ron Rivera from a post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon uh, and from quarterback Sam Howell during a pre-practice press conference midday Wednesday. Uh, next segment, I'll discuss the first commander's injury report of the week as well as comments from Ron on edge defender Chase Young, what the commanders will be facing in the Broncos, and the snapping problems of the commander's long snapper, Cameron Cheeseman. Yeah, the Cheeseman. He is having some problems right now. Uh, And then the following segment, a lot for you on the Commander's offensive line, which it turns out in the regular season opening 2016 win over the Arizona Cardinals at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon. It was not the calamity (laughs) that some thought. Uh, And a lot for you on and from Sam Howell and on how the Commanders will be handling the altitude in Denver. An interesting plan from Ron Rivera for the altitude. Uh, Also on the show, I will talk Nationals. The Mike Rizzo contract extension is done. Uh, The Nats on Wednesday morning announced having agreed on, quote, a multi-year contract extension, end quote, with president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo, I will react to that, and to a, shall we say, less than stellar Major League regular season debut for one of the Nats' top prospects, starting pitcher Jackson Rutledge. Uh, he and a 7-6 loss at the Pittsburgh Pirates on Wednesday evening allowed seven runs in three and two-thirds innings. I have some thoughts for you on a very disappointing Orioles loss, a one nothing loss to the St. Louis Cardinals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Wednesday evening. The American League leading O's, they ended up losing two or three games to the lowly Cardinals, who are tied with the Nats for the second-worst record in the National League for this regular season. Uh, and I have some college football for you, a Goldilocks preview and pick for a game on Thursday night, Navy at Memphis at 7.30. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Perry Jackman with some thoughts on the commander's win over the Cardinals at a rainy and sold out and festive FedEx field this past Sunday afternoon, writes Perry. Hello, Al. A few observations from Sunday's game. Green lot parking was the easiest in and out parking experience in 26 years at FedEx. Jason Wright, though, still cannot get his staff to spell names correctly. (laughs) The new screens, awesome, by the way, displayed the game's inactive list to reveal one Chase Yound before kickoff. SMH. Josh Harris and Mitch Rails literally walked the entire stadium for two hours before kickoff. They were treated like rock stars. I did hear the announcer do a howl to get the crowd going before the game. People were doing Red Wolves howling in our Section 101, just below the owner's box. It was great seeing all of the players from the past. My grandson, Luke Archer, a regular contributor to your podcast, and I actually bumped into Dr. Sabah, the Taylor Heineke fan, while waiting to get a photo with Champ Bailey. I mentioned that I've heard her on DC Sports Talk and the Al Galdi podcast. She thought that I said, I do DC Sports Talk, and my name is Al Galdi. Luke and I just about lost it. (laughs) Anyway, love your show. 
You're the best in the business. Uh, well, thank you very much for that, Perry. Uh, yeah, Dr. Sabah actually tweeted me a nice photo of her and someone. Perhaps it was Perry at FedEx Field on Sunday. The atmosphere at FedEx Field on Sunday was outstanding. The Josh Harris Group did such a good job of making the day a big day and a fun day and a memorable day. There are two negatives that I'm aware of. Uh, one was the fighting at FedEx Field. Multiple videos posted on Twitter showed the fighting. There was one video that showed a fan in commander's gear holding the arms of a man in a Ravens jersey, while another commander's fan punched the man in the Ravens jersey in the face. This was like the four horsemen attacking Dusty Rhodes in the NWA in the 1980s. FedEx Field has had an alcohol slash fighting problem for years. Now, The alcohol-slash-fighting problem is not exclusive to FedEx Field. Let's make that clear. But I'll never forget watching a segment on, I believe it was the HBO show Real Sports years ago. It was in like over a decade ago. Uh, The segment was about drinking by and violence from fans at NFL games. And like (laughs) half of the footage (laughs) was from FedEx Field. Uh, And then the other negative that I'm aware of from FedEx Field on Sunday was that misspelling of Chase Young's name on the video board. You can't have that period. And as we all know, this is not the first time that the team has been guilty of a misspelling like this. Uh, Mistakes happen. I get that. But this has happened way too often. Got to clean that up. Never forget London Flechther. Do you remember London Flechther? September 2019, a display of former Redskins linebacker London Fletcher on the video board at FedEx Field uh, during a halftime induction of London into the Ring of Fame. Uh, This was during a 31-15 loss to the Chicago Bears at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. But the video display had London's name spelled F-L-E-C-T-H-E-R. Flechther. London Flechther. Former Skins linebacker London Flechther and current Commander's Edge defender Chase Yound. (laughs) Uh, Email from Patrick Butler on Mike Rizzo's trading away of outfielder Juan Soto. An especially interesting topic now that Mike officially has a contract extension, writes Patrick. First off, I am a massive fan of your podcast and appreciate the energy that you bring every morning with the and away we go. It it fires me up on my way to work and gets every early morning started off on the right track. I would say that in the more than 10 years of listening to you and following you on Twitter, I have agreed with you on 90% of the opinions that you have shared. However, I remember strongly disagreeing with your stance on the Nats trading Soto. Although it's still too early to officially name a winner and loser, I am curious how you feel about the aftermath of the Soto trade now that it has been over a year since the trade. At the time, I felt strongly that trading Soto was the right decision, and a year later, I feel even more confident that Rizzo's decision to trade Soto was the difficult but right move. Put some respect on Rizzo's name. Keep up the great work and look forward to hearing your response. Uh, Thank you very much for that email, Patrick. Uh, So my stance on the Nats trading Juan Soto, as they did on that fateful day, August 2nd, 2022, was a very nuanced stance. But I was not against the Nats trading Juan Soto per se. I just had a lot of questions about the Nats trading Soto. Those questions were, A, what happened to where Mike Rizzo went from basically swearing that the Nats would not be trading Juan Soto to then all of a sudden trading Soto? 
Mike Rizzo on the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan on June 1st, 2022. Quote, we are not trading Juan Soto. We've made it clear to his agent and to the player. We have every intention of building this team around Juan Soto. End quote. B, if the Nats truly wanted to keep Juan Soto, why was every contract extension offer that they made to Soto a day late and a dollar short? MLB insider Jeff Passan of ESPN in a piece that came out on August 9th, 2022, detailed the contract extension offers that the Nats made to Soto. Each offer was a day late and a dollar short. Not a single offer was what we had talked about. The godfather offer that you knew that the Nats would have to make in order to get Soto to sign a contract extension. So did Mike Rizzo want to keep Soto, but just was never given the green light from managing principal owner Mark Lerner to make the godfather offer, if such a godfather offer even existed? And that is a fair question. Or did Mike not truly want to keep Soto? And see, how much of the Nats trading Soto was Mike using Soto as a get-out-of-jail-free card to upgrade the Nats farm system? A Nats farm system that was barren thanks to years of bad drafting and player development by Mike's baseball operations department. If Mike and his staff had done a better job of drafting and developing players, would the Nats have traded Soto? These are all questions that I had when the Nats traded Soto and still have now. And without the answers to those questions, it's hard to say definitively whether trading Soto was the right call, especially as we're still not sure what's going to come of the five prospects who the Nats got in the trade. But I will say this, and I've said this for years, generally speaking, a major league team is better off not paying any singular player hundreds of millions of dollars and instead parlaying that player into multiple high-level prospects. The history of mega-money contracts in MLB is terrible. And even if the contract works out, one player, even a great player, can only do so much for a baseball team. Baseball is not basketball. But all that said, and this is what makes the Juan Soto situation so complicated, if ever there was an exception to what I just said, if ever there was someone worthy of a mega-money contract, Uh, It would seem to be Juan Soto, who, by the way, is having another great season, contrary to what some have said. Uh, Juan Soto, for the 2023 regular season entering Wednesday, was number eight among all qualified major league players in OPS Plus at 148. But it is a fascinating topic, whether the Nats should have traded Juan Soto. There's so much to take into consideration. Uh, Just like with your home and auto insurance. Uh, Are you not happy with what you're paying for home and auto insurance? Uh, We right now are routinely seeing 20% increases in home and auto insurance, even when the account is clean, meaning no accidents or violations on the auto insurance and no claims on the property insurance. Get with BMC Insurance. Stop overpaying for home and auto insurance and check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. You'll be put in touch with the owner and president, Matt Brooks, a loyal listener of this podcast. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. 
BMC Insurance, it offers home insurance, auto insurance, and also small business insurance in Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and North Carolina. BMC Insurance is an independent insurance agency, meaning that it has many, as in dozens, of insurance carriers it works with to make sure that clients are always paying competitive rates. What's especially great about BMC Insurance is that it has relationships with its clients. BMC Insurance is a trusted advisor for your insurance needs. Uh, BMC Insurance continues to work with clients after sales. It has team members who actually shop clients' insurance every year when they renew. Uh, and BMC Insurance does this proactively so that you don't have to. BMC Insurance will save you time and money. And perhaps most telling, BMC Insurance's client retention rates historically are much higher than industry averages. You see, when people get BMC Insurance, they stay with BMC Insurance. Don't get gouged on your home and auto insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. Talk to my guy, Matt Brooks, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, and BMC Insurance does offer small business insurance. So if you're looking for general liability, workers' comp, or commercial auto insurance, BMC Insurance can help. Visit insurancebmc.com. That's insurancebmc.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, leading the way when it comes to buying tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater is the GameTime app. If you are looking for great deals on tickets to Commander's Games, make sure that you download the GameTime app and use the promo code ALGALDI. GameTime offers great deals on last-minute tickets and has a best price guarantee, so you no longer have to worry if you're truly going about getting tickets in the best possible way. The GameTime guarantee means that you'll always get the best price, and if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. What's also great about GameTime is how easy it makes searching for tickets. You can search by team, venue, or artist. Uh, I was just on GameTime looking at tickets for Commander's Games in the 2023 regular season. A lot of good deals, and the seating chart next to the listed tickets made figuring out what exactly I'd be getting super easy. GameTime is the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country. GameTime is the app for last-minute ticket deals. You don't have to plan months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. GameTime also offers flash deals on tickets, and tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Get the tickets without the stress with GameTime, which is offering a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what you do. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use this promo code, Al Galdi. You use that promo code, Al Galdi, you get $20 off your first purchase. Uh, terms do apply, but download the GameTime app, create that account, and use the promo code, Al Galdi, for $20 off your first purchase. What time is it? It's game time. <laughs> download the GameTime app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed.
Well, the Commanders on Wednesday afternoon began practicing for this Sunday afternoon's game at the Denver Broncos at 425. When it came to the Commanders' injury report for Wednesday afternoon's practice, just one player on the team's active roster did not practice at all. Uh, That player was defensive back Juan Martin, who was in concussion protocol. Two players were listed as limited participants in practice, edge defender Chase Young and receiver Curtis Samuel. Uh, Chase, of course, was inactive for the team's regular season opening 2016 win over the Arizona Cardinals at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon due to the neck injury that he suffered in the Commanders' preseason opening 17-15 win at the Cleveland Browns on August 11th. Commanders head coach Rod Rivera on Wednesday afternoon did a post-practice press conference. Here he was on Chase Young, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commanders insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. Um, Chase was able to take the reps that he was supposed to take. Um, and he did everything he, that, the, the, that, that the doctors prescribed for him to do as far as the contact was concerned. And I guess what's the, what's the plan for him and what's your outlook? We'll continue to go by what the doctor's plan is and we'll go from there. All righty. The Chase Young dance continues. <laughs> uh, Rod Rivera continuing to not say much about Chase's status continues. Uh, as for Curtis Samuel, uh, turns out that he's dealing with a hip issue. And then two players were on the commander's injury report despite being listed as full participants in Wednesday afternoon's practice. Receiver Terry McLaurin, who uh, has been dealing with that uh, injured right big toe, and right guard Samuel Cosme, who is uh, dealing with a shoulder problem. As for the Broncos, uh, the only player on their active roster who did not practice on Wednesday afternoon was tight end Greg Dulcich. Uh, He is expected to miss multiple weeks due to a hamstring injury. Receiver Jerry Judy was listed as a limited participant in practice. He did not play in the Broncos' 17-16 home loss to the Las Vegas Raiders this past Sunday due to a hamstring injury and in Interior defensive lineman DJ Jones was listed as a limited participant in practice due to a knee. As you may know, and as uh, Ron Rivera may have mentioned a time or 400, uh, he used to be the Carolina Panthers head coach. Yeah, did you know that? Uh, Ron was the Panthers head coach from January 2011 to December 2019. The Broncos head coach, Sean Payton, he was the New Orleans Saints head coach from January 2006 to January 2022. So Ron and Sean competed against each other in the NFC South for years. This was Ron on Wednesday afternoon on this Sunday facing Sean Payton yet again. It was always difficult because, you know, Sean's one of those guys that has a lot of answers. He really does just because he knows how he wants to attack you. And if you counter it, he has something prepared, ready to go. And, you know, and Jack's gone against him as well. So, so, you know, we both have a pretty good understanding, but there's always still that unknown with him. I mean, he's got a quarterback who's very smart. Uh, makes good decisions. You know, he's got some skilled position players. So, you know, we're, we're expecting, you know, um, you know, some stuff that's very similar to things he's done in the past. Well, Washington on Sunday has a chance to achieve something that the franchise has not achieved since 2011, a 2-0 and start to a regular season. <laughs> yeah, Washington has not started a regular season 2-0 since 2011. A 2 and start to a regular season is not some monumentally great start, and yet our team has not had such a start since 2011. Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on the importance of winning this game at the Broncos, especially considering the desire to avoid yet another bad start to a season for him as Washington head coach. 
Yeah, it's always important. Winning's important. That's, I mean, that's the bottom line to it. And we want to win every game we play. And so this approach will be no different than any other approach we've had. Um, we understand the urgency, the sense of urgency. Um, you know, our, our, our concern more than anything else is just winning. And that's, that's the way we're going to approach everything is to win. And helping the Commanders win at the Broncos on Sunday would be the Commanders defense having its way with quarterback Russell Wilson, who, of course, the Commanders tried quite hard to trade for in the 2022 offseason. And Wilson, of course, ended up having a horrendous 2022 season with the Broncos. So Wilson in the Broncos loss to the Raiders last Sunday completed 27 of his 34 pass attempts, had two touchdown passes versus no interceptions, took just two sacks, but he threw for just 177 yards. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 5.21. Wilson for the 2022 regular season ranked 27th out of 31 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR. This is Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on what he sees in watching Russell Wilson on tape. Um, I see he still has a good arm, good mobility back there. Um, he, um, you know, they talked about how he lost weight, and, and, and you see it. Um, he's, he's moving well. Uh, he's still a good decision maker. He gets the ball out quick. He's got an NFL arm still. Um, I think he's you know still learning and growing in in, in, in Coach Payton's offense. Um, you know Sean's got a, a, a I, I think you know shoot I had to coach against him for nine straight years in the same division and just knowing you know he's got a very good offense. It's it's very diverse. Uh, he utilizes his, his 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 playmakers very well and 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 the idea is trying to get the ball to them as quickly as possible. And I think Russell has the type of arm that, that can suit it and fit very well. So I think as they work together and they grow, they're going to become more and more efficient. You know, and it's, they're going to be they're going to cause cause a lot more problems for people. And speaking of causing problems, <laughs> uh, also at Ron Rivera's post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon was a question about long snapper Cameron Cheeseman. Yeah, our guy, the cheese man. Uh, the cheese man isn't doing so well right now. Uh, he and the win over the Cardinals had a bad snap on each of kicker Joey Sly's two field goal attempts. Uh, Sly went two of two on field goals despite these two bad snaps by Cameron Cheeseman. Sly connected on a 30-yard field goal on the final snap of the second quarter to cut the commander's deficit to 13-10. Cheeseman's snap for this field goal was low and too far to the right of punter slash holder Tressway. Uh, Sly connected on a 33-yard field goal in the fourth quarter for a 2016 commander's lead. Cheeseman's snap for that field goal was way high. Uh, we know that the cheese man has been working on a new snapping technique, but the technique apparently is not working so well. Uh, Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on Cameron Cheeseman. Well, it, it is concern more than anything else. And so we'll just continue to have Cameron snap and until, you know, unfortunately something happens and then we'll decide from there. But right now we're handling it. We're putting the three balls through the uprights, which is most important. And I believe it's just something that he's working out. Yeah, well, he better fix it. 
Uh, And keep in mind that we saw Cameron Cheeseman struggle in the preseason. We saw him struggle in the Commanders' 29-28 win over the Baltimore Ravens at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football on August 21st. The game that ended the streak, the Ravens' NFL record 24-game preseason winning streak. Joey Sly in that game, off having won the Commanders' kicker competition with Michael Badgley, had a great night. 3-3 on field goals, 2-2 on extra points. Sly connected on a 49-yard field goal in the third quarter, despite a terrible snap by Cameron Cheeseman, whose snap resulted in the football rolling on the grass toward Tressway. Never forget, Washington did not just spend a draft pick on a long snapper in Cameron Cheeseman. Washington on a long snapper in Cameron Cheeseman spent a draft pick that the team traded for. Washington on day three of the 2021 NFL draft, May 1st, 2021, traded a 2022 fifth round pick to the Philadelphia Eagles for one of their 2021 six-round picks and one of the Eagles' 2021 seventh-round picks. And Washington, with the six-round pick acquired by a trade with the Eagles, took Michigan long snapper Cameron Cheeseman. An NFL team can find quality long snappers. In addition to quality kickers and quality punters as undrafted free agents or on the cheap in veteran free agency or via the waiver wire, spending draft capital on a special team specialist is rarely, and I mean rarely, (laughs) the way to go. Uh, I could not stand. And I mean rarely (laughs) the way to go. Well, a way that is definitely the way to go on Instagram, if you are a Commanders fan, is at WSH on the daily. If you are a Commanders fan and you're on Instagram, make sure that you're following at WSH on the daily on IG. On the daily just started in 2021 and yet has more than 23,000 followers. And on the daily is literally daily. Uh, The page is updated every day. News, notes, reports, photos, graphics. Uh, This is a page that properly sources and vets its news and information. Doesn't just post anything that anyone says. On the Daily on Instagram is a great place at which you can converse with other Commanders fans regarding the team, the draft, free agency, and trades. On the Daily responds to every single DM. Uh, On the Daily is a page at which you can have fun. Lots of creativity with jersey swaps and unique graphics and the contest name that Redskin and free wallpaper Wednesday, which is when On The Daily gives out free wallpaper that you can use on your phone. Uh, And On The Daily always has a great fresh look. If you're on Instagram, check out at WSH On The Daily and check out at WSH On The Daily's online shop, WSHOnTheDaily.com. WSHOnTheDaily.com. Some outstanding gear, shirts, hoodies, excellent material, uh, modern look. These are breathable and comfortable clothes, and they come with all kinds of looks. My personal favorite, a shirt that reads hashtag Howl 2023. Uh, For smart, informative, fun, and engaging Commander's content, check out at WSH on the Daily on Instagram. And for great merch, visit WSHOnTheDaily.com. So there is something that has become increasingly clear over these last few days. The performance of the commander's offensive line 
in the team's regular season opening 2016 win over the Arizona Cardinals at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon was not as bad as people thought. Uh, That's not to say that the line was good, but there were aspects of the line that were good. And what's funny is that for all of the talk about the six acts that the commanders allowed, the team's run blocking was more of a problem than the team's pass blocking was. The advanced ads that have come out have told us a very interesting story about the commander's offensive line this past Sunday afternoon. As I talked about on Tuesday's show, episode 654, three of the four highest-graded commander's offensive players for the game in terms of overall grades for pro football focus were offensive linemen. Left tackle Charles Leno Jr. was number one. Right guard Samuel Cosme was number three. And right tackle Andrew Wiley was number four. But what also stands out are the win rate metrics. Uh, These from a partnership of ESPN and the NFL's next-gen stats. The commanders for week one of the 2023 regular season ranked number eight in the NFL in pass block win rate. Yeah, number eight. Charles Leno Jr. for week one, among all qualified offensive tackles in the NFL, ranked number two in run block win rate and number 11 in pass block win rate. Andrew Wiley for week one, among all qualified offensive tackles in the NFL, ranked number 20 in pass block win rate. Pretty good. And this is in accordance with what Commander's Analyst Mark Bullock told us on Wednesday's show, episode 655 in his terrific film breakdown of the Commander's win over the Cardinals. Now, this doesn't mean that the Commander's offensive line on Sunday afternoon was great. Uh, Wiley and left guard Sadiq Charles each committed a 10-yard offensive holding penalty. Uh, The Commander's offensive line was part of a Commander's offense that averaged just 3.12 yards per carry on carries by running backs and receivers. And the team for week one ranked just 22nd out of 32 NFL teams in run block win rate per ESPN and the NFL's next-gen stats. So you're not wrong to uh, not be throwing bouquets at the commander's offensive line. However, fair is fair. The line in the win over the Cardinals was not hideous. This was not some trashed offensive line performance, uh, as some have made it out to be. The commander's QB1, Sam Howell, he on Wednesday did a pre-practice press conference that started shortly before noon as the team on Wednesday began practicing for this Sunday afternoon's game at the Denver Broncos at 425. This was Sam on Wednesday on if there was a common thread to the six sacks that the team allowed in the win over the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, I'm always going to, you know, err on it was my fault just because I think I can I could have done a better job. Um, I mean, there was some of them where I just ran out of bounds at like a yard or two behind the line of scrimmage, which is just dumb. You know, I just throw the ball away. Um, and, you know, the, obviously the the strip sack for the touchdown, you know, that was on me. I was just trying to do too much, especially down there backed up. You know, don't try to reverse out and spin out of it. Um, just be smart. Um, but for the most part, I think there was places to go with the ball. I just got to do a better job getting the ball out of my hands. And the O-line did a good job throughout most of the game. Um, and obviously the stats don't show it. Um, But I got to do a better job helping those guys out. Yeah, so the commanders in the win over the Cardinals allowing six sacks is a bit misleading because, as Sam Howell indicated, the first three, quote, sacks, end quote, that he took combined 
for a loss of one yard. That was it. Those three sacks essentially were scrambles for no gain or a one-yard loss. Technically sacks, but they were not sacks in the conventional sense. And good for Sam for taking ownership of the sacks. Uh, A friend of this podcast, fantasy football analyst Ian Horditz of Fantasy Life, he on Wednesday afternoon put out a tweet that featured a graph of NFL quarterbacks in week one, uh, sacks taken versus a time to pressure for pro football focus. The graph was from True Media. Uh, Being up high on the graph meant that the quarterback took a lot of sacks. Being far to the right on the graph meant that the quarterback had had a lot of time to throw. (laughs) Sam Howell on this graph was all by his lonesome near the upper right corner. And as Ian wrote in the tweet, quote, sure seems like Sam Howell needs to get the football out faster, end quote. Uh, Sam in the win over the Cardinals, certainly took some shots. Uh, here he was on Wednesday on how he was feeling. Honestly, I ran the ball in college so much that it it wasn't really anything crazy. Um, it, obviously, it was a physical game, um, and it being the first game of the year, you know, the first time that not only me, but all the guys played a whole game this year um, was was a big factor in that as well. But it was a physical game, um, but I feel all right. I think I did a good job in recovering the past two days and getting two good workouts in, so my body feels back to normal. Regarding Sam Howell running a lot in college, so Sam was North Carolina's starting quarterback for three seasons, 2019 through 2021. He, over his 2019 and 2020 seasons, totaled just 181 official rushing yards. And I say official because college football ridiculously counts yardage lost on sacks and a quarterback's rushing stats. But Sam, during his 2021 junior season, totaled 828 official rushing yards and 11 rushing touchdowns. Uh, Also, Sam, in his 2021 junior season, per pro football focus, forced 63 broken tackles. However, also according to PFF, 13% of Sam's dropbacks in the 2021 season resulted in scrambles. Uh, That is a high percentage of dropbacks turning into scrambles. And no doubt, a uh, porous North Carolina offensive line had something to do with that, but so too may have been an over-willingness from Sam to run. Uh, This was head coach Rod Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon on how Sam Howell has been in the days since the win over the Cardinals. I think he learned. I think he grew. Um, he understood, and he, you know, he knows. He and I have a couple of conversations, and you know, one thing that, that he said in our first conversation, he just he knows he's got to play better. He knows that uh, he missed some opportunities, but at the same time, um, I also know that he knows he made some plays. And again, we just got to make sure we protect the football, and you know, and as a, as a team, as a unit, we just got to protect the, the quarterback, and that includes him too. He's got to understand he's got to protect himself as well. Interesting to hear Ron Rivera say that Sam Howell told Ron that Sam knows that he needs to play better. Uh, Well, Ron, in his day after the game press conference on Monday afternoon, said that Sam, in the win over the Cardinals, at times actually got off reads too quick. This was Sam on Wednesday on how to do a better job with his progressions. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to trusting my feet, and my feet will, my feet will always keep me on time in my progression. Um, and so, I think I've done a really good job of that in practice. So, and I and I did a good job for most of the game. Um, there were just some plays here and there where I just got to continue to trust what I'm taught and trust my feet and trust my progression. 
So Sam Howell is a 2-0 in regular season games as a starting quarterback for the Commanders. Each game has been a home game. He on Sunday will start his first regular season road game in the NFL. Here was Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon on if he'll speak with Sam about him making his first regular season road start. Well, I think the biggest thing with him or anything else is just talking about, you know, what the situation circumstances are. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to feature or highlight anything with him other than the next game. And, and it just happens that it is going to be on the, on, the, on the road. It'll be his first, you know, real start uh, on the road as well. It, it's, um, you know, it'll be in a good environment, good football environment. Um, you know, but the thing about it too is he's not going into this alone. He, he's got five good playmakers out there around him at all times. And, 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 and I think our offensive line with some of the things that, you know, we're doing is going to get better and better. And I think as they hit their stride, I think we can be pretty good. And this was Sam on Wednesday on this Sunday's game at the Broncos being his first NFL regular season road game. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, you know, I love playing on the road. It's it's a lot of fun to go to go play at another team's home and you know try to give try to give it your best shot. You know, we're, we we feel like we can go in there and we have a good opportunity to go play against a really good football team in a, in a really cool stadium, really cool environment. Uh, so it's just a great opportunity for us as an offense to you know we got to have a really good week of practice and a really good week of preparation to go in there and give ourselves a chance. And the quote really cool environment end quote that Sam Howell was talking about. Uh, in Denver includes, of course, the altitude. Uh, There is a reason that Denver is known as the Mile High City. That's because it is essentially a mile high. Uh, Denver is situated at an altitude of 5,280 feet, one mile high above sea level. Uh, People react to the high altitude of Denver in all kinds of ways. Some people have no problem with the altitude. Uh, Others do have problems. Ron Rivera on Wednesday afternoon said this about the commander's plan for the altitude. What it has done is, is, is we will leave a little bit later in the afternoon. You know, we're, we're, we're prescribing to that, that whole thought process is that, you, you know, if you're there for less than 24 hours, you, you're not going to feel the impact. So and as far as we're concerned, we like the conditioning that we've had this year. We really think our conditioning is, is one of the things that should carry us in this game. So that's the way we're going to approach it. So how about that? The commanders for this game in the mile-high city of Denver are leaving the Washington, D.C. area late Saturday with the idea being that being in Denver for less than 24 hours will minimize the impact of the altitude. Is that a thing? Is that a sound approach? I'm not saying that it's not, but what we've heard a lot over the years is athletes and teams going to Denver early in order to acclimate to the altitude. Uh, Ron Rivera has the commanders doing the opposite. Here was Sam Howell on Wednesday on if he has ever dealt with true altitude. I have not, uh, not that I know of. Um, so that's definitely something we'll kind of be talking about all week long. And I know Jake, our nutritionist, he has some things that might help us for that. Um, but no, I'm excited for it. People have talked about it a lot, and I really never experienced experienced anything like that. So I'm excited for, for what it brings. Well, however difficult winning at the Broncos may be, the Las Vegas Raiders just did that. Uh, the Broncos lost this past Sunday a 17-16 home loss to the Raiders. Uh, we on Wednesday show got some very good insight on that game from Denver Broncos insider Zach Stevens of the DNVR.com, the co-host of the DNVR Broncos podcast. The Raiders' new QB1 is Jimmy Garoppolo. He, for week one, had the fourth best total QBR per ESPN, 83.4. Sam Howell, for week one, had the 18th 
best total QBR, 45.4 QBRs on a scale of 0 to 100. Uh, This was Sam on Wednesday on if he can take things from Jimmy G's performance in the Raiders' win at the Broncos. Yeah, I mean, definitely watching the film and just seeing how you know what what their plan was going into Denver, and obviously they they had success and ultimately won the game. Um, and that's hard to do, especially in a place like Denver. Um, you know, it's a great environment for them, and it's a, it's a super exciting opportunity for us um, to play a road game in a, in a hostile environment. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously just watching the film, there's a lot of things you can take from not only what Jimmy did, but from what the Raiders were doing on offense and things that worked, things that didn't work, and just getting a feel for what the defense is doing. Jimmy Garoppolo in the Raiders' win at the Broncos last Sunday, a highly efficient 20 of 26 for 200 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Did not take a sack. The Broncos' pass rush in this game was terrible. Going back to the win rate metrics from ESPN and the NFL's next-gen stats, the Broncos in Week 1 were number 31 out of 32 NFL teams in pass rush win rate. Uh, The Manders, uh, they were number nine. This game for the Commanders at the Broncos will mark the first of three consecutive games for the Commanders against uh, what you would call name quarterbacks, although how good these guys are right now is debatable. But uh, at Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos this Sunday afternoon at 425. Then the Commanders are home to Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills on Sunday afternoon, September 24th at 1. And then the Commanders are at Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday afternoon, October 1st at 1. And so we on Wednesday had this exchange between the radio voice of the Commanders, Bram Weinstein and Sam Howell. Sam, the next few weeks you're going to play up, I know not directly against, but very established quarterbacks in the NFL, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts. Are you at the point where you're trying to measure yourself against some of the best in the NFL? And who did you kind of tailor your game after when you were watching football when you were younger? I wouldn't say I'm trying to, you know, measure my game. I'm just trying to do the best I can each and every week and try to give my team an opportunity to win football games. I'm going to try to be I'm going to try to be myself. I'm going to try to be the best player I can be each and every week for my teammates. Um, and then to your question about who I watched, I watched a lot of Drew Brees. Um, Drew Brees was my favorite growing up. Um, big fan of his and just the way he played the game. And obviously we're playing Russell Wilson this week. I watched Russell Wilson a lot as well. Uh, I think we kind of have a similar game style. Um, I definitely, he was one of the guys I watched growing up that I liked the way he played the game. Um, so it'll be fun to go against him on Sunday. Well, obviously, Sam Howell has a ways to go until he is uh, peak Drew Brees or peak Russell Wilson. But those aren't bad comps for the style of quarterback Sam could be if he ends up being a good NFL quarterback. And interestingly, both Brees and Wilson, like Sam, were non first round picks in NFL drafts, right? Uh, The San Diego Chargers took Breeze in the second round of the 2001 draft, although they did so with the first pick of the second round. But still, technically, Drew Breeze, a non-first round pick, and the Seattle Seahawks took Russell Wilson in the third round of the 2012 draft. Uh, And then one more thing, the Commanders QB2, Jacoby Brissett. There has been talk of the New York Jets potentially being interested in in trading for Jacoby. Uh, Off there, QB1, Aaron Rodgers incredibly suffering a season-ending torn left Achilles tendon on his fourth regular season snap with the Jets off their mega trade for him this past April. 
Uh, whether the Jets are actually interested in trading for Jacoby Brissett is not known. Jacoby, in the 2022 regular season, made 11 starts for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, he was their starting quarterback during quarterback Deshaun Watson's 11-game suspension, and Jacoby did quite well over those 11 games. Now, personally, I would have zero problem with the commanders trading Jacoby Brissett to the Jets for a day-two pick. Okay, If the commanders could take advantage of the Jets' desperation and get them to give up a third-round pick right now, to say nothing of a second-round pick, uh, I would do that in a heartbeat, especially considering that Jacoby is on a one-year contract. He could be gone after this season. Now, you know, a second-rounder almost certainly would not happen. A third-rounder might be unlikely. But you know what? If the Jets really wanted Jacoby Brissett, maybe you could do a third-rounder. Uh, where this would become tricky is with a day three pick. Would it be worth it for the commanders right now to trade Jacoby Brissett to the Jets for a fourth or a fifth round pick? Fourth round pick, I still would say yes. Fifth rounder is, I think, where you start to get into that gray area because you have to look at it like this. Would the pick be worth more than the value that Jacoby could potentially provide if the commanders are in playoff contention but then Sam Howell gets injured and misses multiple games. That would be the question. Uh, But listen, I would be really surprised if Ron Rivera traded Jacoby Brissett to the Jets, given that Ron pretty clearly is coaching for his job. And so you would think that Ron wants legitimate Sam Howell insurance. But this is something to think about. Uh, Anyway, this was Sam Howell on Wednesday on how he has been helped by Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been awesome to have here. Um, you know, such a great guy, great teammate. Um, but now, obviously, he's been around a lot of football, and he's seen a lot of football, and he's been in this league for a long time, and he knows what to expect. Um, and he's done a really good job just throughout the week in helping me and telling me little things that he sees on film that would help him if he was playing. Um, then on game day, he's just always very supportive, very positive, um, and just always kind of gives me confidence before I go back out there on the field. Um, so it's been awesome to have a guy like that here. All right. And also awesome is Underdog Fantasy. I am proud to be partnering with Underdog Fantasy. Uh, I, for this season, am making fantasy football picks for Commander's Games in terms of Underdog Fantasy's higher, lower totals. Uh, Underdog Fantasy is great. It is the best and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Check out UnderdogFantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Uh, Underdog Fantasy offers pick'em games by which you can win up to 20 times on your money in one day and offers pick'em insurance, which gives you a little wiggle room if you're not as confident in an entry. And when it comes to season-long fantasy, Underdog Fantasy offers a zero-stress scenario of no waivers, no trades, even no lineup setting. We all know that playing fantasy sports can be ultra-time-consuming. Well, Underdog Fantasy removes the time consumption, but keeps the fun and the potential to win money. And Underdog Fantasy is offering something special for listeners of this podcast. If you sign up now with the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI, Underdog Fantasy will double your first deposit with up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of at least $10. So in other words, if you deposit $100, you get $100 for free, free money. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code GALDI. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app and use the promo code GALDI. 
must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and must be present in a state in which underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. Well, Wednesday was quite the day for the Nationals. They on Wednesday morning announced having agreed on, quote, a multi-year contract extension, end quote, with President of Baseball Operations and General Manager Mike Rizzo. Then we on Wednesday evening had the Major League regular season debut of one of the Nats' top prospects, starting pitcher Jackson Rutledge. And we in that game nearly had the Nats pulling off an improbable comeback, but the Nats did lose a 7-6 loss at the Pittsburgh Pirates on Wednesday evening in Game 3 of a four-game series. The Nats now are just 4-12 and over their last 16 games. The Nats for this 2023 regular season now are 65-81. and So they have clinched having a fourth consecutive non-winning regular season. The Nats on Wednesday evening did trim a 7-1 fifth inning deficit to a 7-6 ninth inning deficit. Uh, Kate Ruiz in the Nats one run ninth had a pinch first pitch RBI infield single on a chopper to the right side of the infield to cut the Nats deficit to 7-6. The Nats in this top of the ninth had the bases loaded one out and the team's numbers one and two batters. Shortstop C.J. Abrams and right fielder Lane Thomas coming up. But each guy ended up making an out, and the Nats' comeback attempt fell short. Uh, the Nats for the game scored six runs, totaled eight hits, worked four walks, went three for seven with runners in scoring position. The eight hits were comprised of two home runs, two doubles, and four singles. Drew Millis, uh, he is the Nats' starting catcher and number seven batter, one for three with a solo homer, uh, did commit a throwing error, but Millis in the Nats' one-run fifth had a one-out solo homer to right field on a one-two pitch. To cut the Nats' deficit to 7-2, the home run, his first major league regular season home run, uh, went a projected 405 feet per stat cast. The Nats acquired Millis uh, via their 2021 fire sale. He was acquired in the Nats' trading of catcher Jan Gomes, infielder slash outfielder Josh Harrison, in cash considerations to the Oakland A's on July 30th, 2021. Uh, this season is Millis's age 25 season. Also, Dominic Smith continues to hit. He on Wednesday evening as the Nats' starting first baseman and number three batter went two for four with a two-run homer and a double. Uh, the Nats on Wednesday afternoon announced that they had recorded called starting pitcher Jackson Rutledge from AAA Rochester. Uh, Jackson Rutledge per MLB Pipeline is the Nats' number 13 prospect. This season is his age 24 season. The Nats took him with the number 17 overall pick in the 2019 MLB draft out of San Jacinto College, a uh, public community college in Texas. Uh, He is big. He is listed as being 6'8", 251 pounds. This was exciting. The major league regular season debut of Jackson Rutledge. But uh, this debut did not go well. Uh, Rutledge in this 7-6 loss at the Pirates on Wednesday evening allowed seven runs in three and two-thirds innings. Uh, He gave up 10 hits, a two-run homer, two doubles, and seven singles. He issued a walk and a wild pitch. 
He recorded just two strikeouts. He over his mirror three and two-thirds innings through 90 pitches, 52 strikes versus 38 balls. He gave up a lot of hard contact. Uh, Rutledge per StatCast allowed eight exit velocities, each of at least 100 miles per hour. And understand, all of this happened against one of the worst hitting teams in the majors in the Pirates. Uh, Now, this was one game. You can't go crazy with it, uh, but this was not a good game. Uh, This was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday night on Jackson Rutledge. Yeah, just, you know, just fell behind, you know, fell behind a little bit. Um, Like I said, you know, the adrenaline was really pumping a little bit. Um, So, um, yeah, (laughs) you got hit in the head. Uh, he's okay, but um, you know I, I didn't want I didn't want him to end. Like, let's see, there was something really wrong with him. I want him to kind of finish on the mound. Didn't want to take him out right there. And um, but all, overall, you know, stuff is good. You know, we just got we got to get him. Uh, we got to get him throw more strikes. Get ahead of hitters. Um, you know, first inning, you know, he threw some pretty good pitches. You know, just he just got you know uh, dinged a little bit there. And uh, but overall, I thought he th- I thought he did okay for his first out. I really did. I mean, I'm not going to look at at, at the runs. Um, but he made some pretty good pitches, um, so uh, we'll get him back out there in, in five or six days. In the first inning, he was leaving some fastballs high. Is that just a result of being a little bit too amped up, and at least, at least really on throwing those fastballs high and off the plate? Though. Yeah, yeah, he's just you know that's just a part of the adrenaline, you know. Um, and then when he started throwing the ball, you know, down in the zone, getting on top of the ball, you know, he, he, the ball came out really well. <laughs> Davey Martinez, always so positive. Uh, that's Davey. That's why players love him. Uh, A pitching bright spot for the Nats in this 7-6 loss at the Pirates on Wednesday evening was the bullpen. Uh, Three Nats relievers combined for four and a third scoreless innings with five strikeouts. Uh, Joe LaSorsa tossed one and a third scoreless innings. Robert Garcia tossed two perfect innings, including a perfect bottom of the six with three swinging strikeouts. And Andres Machado tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth with two strikeouts. By the way, the corresponding roster move to the Nats recalling Jackson Rutledge from AAA Rochester was them optioning reliever Mason Thompson to Rochester. Uh, Boy, has Thompson fallen off since he was so good earlier this season. Uh, The Nats last season uh, did option Thompson to Rochester multiple times. All right, this contract extension for Mike Rizzo. So it finally is done. Uh, It was on August 21st that we had multiple reports that the Nats and Mike Rizzo were close to finalizing a contract extension. It ended up not being until September 13th that the Nats officially announced the extension. And in between August 21st and September 13th, we learned of major changes in the Nats front office. Uh, We on September 2nd learned that the Nats longtime international scouting director, Johnny DePuglia, had resigned. Uh, DePuglia had been with the Nats since October 2009. We on September 6th learned of the Nats having made significant cuts to their scouting department. We on September 8th learned that the Nats were moving their assistant general manager and vice president of scouting operations, Chris Klein, into a new role of a special assistant to Mike Rizzo. In other words, Klein was being demoted. Uh, Chris Klein was hired by the Nats in the fall of 2006, spent the next three seasons as a cross-checker for the team, and then was promoted to director of scouting in October 2009. Uh, Johnny DePuglia and Chris Klein had been two right-hand men for Mike Rizzo, and yet in between this time of the reports of the Nats and Rizzo nearing a contract extension and the actual announcement of the contract extension, 
we had DePuglia resigning, and we had Klein being reassigned. Uh, Mike Rizzo on Wednesday morning did a virtual press conference. He addressed the front office changes by essentially saying that the Nats are trying to modernize their front office, i.e. become better with analytics and sports science. Uh, That's good, but that's also way late, man, okay? Uh, And you have to wonder this, DePuglia out, Klein reassigned. Is this coming from Mike Rizzo or is this being forced on Mike Rizzo by Nats ownership, the learners. Now, if the latter is the case, I don't have a problem with the idea of, hey, change needs to happen. But I come back to this. If you are ownership and you feel like change needs to happen, (laughs) why are you keeping the guy who presided over the things that you want to change? Uh, The Nats have been way too slow to fully embrace analytics and sports science. And why that has been the case is a key question. Uh, Has this been the case because Mike Rizzo has not wanted to fully embrace these things? Or has this been the case because Mike has not been allowed by ownership to fully embrace these things? In other words, Mike has not been given a proper budget from the learners for these things. We don't know the answer to this question, but it is a big question. What we do know is this. The Nats drafting and player development were really bad for years and the Nats' bad drafting and player development are the top reasons for why the Nats fell off a cliff after winning the World Series in 2019. And of course, the Nats drafting and player development fall under the purview of Mike Rizzo. Uh, It's not crazy to think that Mike did not deserve this contract extension. Baseball America Editor-in-Chief J.J. Cooper on July 4th came out with a piece assessing how every major league team had done at drafting hitters from the 2012 through 2022 MLB drafts. It was in 2012 that MLB adopted strict bonus pools, significantly altering the uh, nature of the MLB draft. This piece by Cooper was a massive indictment of the Nats. The piece included this, quote, Since 2012, the Nationals have not drafted any hitter who has reached 10 career home runs, end quote. Let that sink in. Since 2012, the Nats have not drafted any hitter who has reached 10 career major league regular season home runs. The piece also included this, quote, the Nationals' inability to find power is most notable. The Nationals' draftees from 2012 to the present have produced 37 total home runs. Every other team has more than 100 home runs, and there are numerous players in the study who have exceeded the Nationals' grand total during just one season, end quote. Mike Rizzo's background is in scouting, and yet the Nats scouting for a decade, woeful. But Mike Rizzo also has done a number of good things for the Nats. Uh, The Nats from 2012 through 2019 had eight consecutive winning seasons, made five playoff appearances, won four National League East titles, and won the 2019 World Series. Mike Rizzo deserves a ton of credit for all of that. Uh, If ever there was a general manager who deserved the opportunity to uh, general manage his way out of a mess that he created, this would be it. But I tell you, in a lot of other circumstances, Mike Rizzo would not have gotten a contract extension. Mike has benefited from the Nats being for sale 
and having ownership uncertainty. Uh, the learners are not interested in making major changes to the team. And let's be honest, what young up-and-coming executive would want to become Nats general manager right now, given the ownership uncertainty? And so when you combine that with Mike being 62 and having a scouting background in a world in which MLB teams for GM jobs are going with guys who are younger and have analytics backgrounds, and thus Mike may not have had a ton of options beyond the Nats in terms of a high-level executive position, he and the learners kind of needed each other in this predicament. Uh, As for the Nats' ownership situation, uh, this was Mike Rizzo on Wednesday morning on the learners' commitment to owning the Nats. You know, I've I've never spoken to them about their commitment to, and if they're going to sell the team and that type of thing. The, the I've never seen the Lerner family and ownership more involved and more focused and and more into this thing than I've seen than I've seen this year uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, you know, believe me, when when uh, when reports come out that uh, they've got one foot in and one foot out, that's not the people I'm dealing with on a daily basis. Uh, these guys are into it. Uh, they're into every step of this rebuild. They're looking forward to uh, to coming out the other end and to and to you know start winning some games and start being a a contender in uh, in this league and to and to you know put up some championship banners again. I I've, I see no evidence whatsoever of uh, of this fan base, in particular Mark Lerner, you know being you know uh, uh, half in and half out. They're all in. They want to win. And uh, and I, I have I have no uh, I have no thought process of them wanting to get rid of the team and sell it. Now, look, everything that Mike Rizzo just said right there may be true. I'm not going to sit here and call Mike a liar, but let's be honest, okay? If what Mike just said was not true, it's not like he would say otherwise, <laughs> okay? I mean, he just got a contract extension from the learners. What's Mike going to say? That they're not committed to owning the team? I mean, the widespread belief is that the Masson dispute is holding up the sale of the Nats. So, you know, this commitment thing is a funny thing. If the Masson dispute was no longer a thing, then I think that there's a really good chance that the learners would no longer be the owners of the Nats. So uh, I think circumstances have come to dictate that, at least for now, the learners are the Nats owners. The learners are stuck with the Nats, uh, with the word stuck (laughs) in quotation marks. It's very hard to say whether the Nats extending Mike Rizzo is the right call. There's a lot that we don't know. I have a lot of respect for Mike. I have labeled him the ninja, ninja Rizzo, for all of the great trades that he has made in running Nationals baseball operations. But the bad drafting, the bad player development, the lack of embracing of analytics do not reflect well on Mike Rizzo. Game four for the Nats at the Pirates. Thursday afternoon at 1235, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. It begins on Thursday night. It would be the Orioles' biggest series of the season so far. A four-game series with the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. But the O's are going into this series off losing two or three games to the lowly St. Louis Cardinals at Camden Yards, including a 1-0 loss on Wednesday evening. 
Uh, the O's for this regular season have the best record in the American League. The Cardinals for this regular season are tied with the Nationals for the second worst record in the National League. And yet, the O's just lost two or three games to the Cardinals at Camden Yards. Uh, and the Rays on Wednesday afternoon won uh, a 5-4 win at the Minnesota Twins. So the O's for this regular season now are an American League best 91-54 and 54, and now are two games ahead of the Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. The Orioles elimination number, magic number uh, to clinch the American League East is 15. Uh, the O's in their 1-0 loss to the Cardinals on Wednesday evening scored no runs, totaled just three hits, did work five walks, but went 0-6 with runners in scoring position. And how about who the Cardinals' starting pitcher was? Drew Rahm, who the O's on August 1st, minutes before the 2023 MLB trade deadline at 6 p.m. Eastern on that day, was part of the package that the O's traded to the Cardinals for starting pitcher Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty so far has been a big disappointment for the O's. Drew Rahm, he on Wednesday evening tossed five and a third scoreless innings with seven strikeouts at the O's. <laughs> you cannot make this stuff up. Uh, and first baseman Ryan Mountcastle left the game. Uh, this due to left shoulder discomfort. He's day-to-day, not what you want going into this series against the Rays. Uh, The Orioles pitching on Wednesday evening was really good. Uh, Kyle Gibson was the Orioles' starting pitcher. He allowed one run in six and two-thirds innings. And three Orioles relievers, Jacob Webb, D.L. Hall, and Shintaro Fujinami, combined for two and a third scoreless innings with three strikeouts. So next up for the O's is this big four-game series against the Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Game one, Thursday night at 7.15, a very good pitching matchup. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Aaron Savali will be the Rays starting pitcher. And before we call it a show, I do have some college football for you. A Goldilocks preview and pick for a game on Thursday night. Navy at Memphis, Thursday night at 7.30. And what is the American Athletic Conference opener? The AAC opener for each team. Uh, The midshipmen per crab sports are plus 14 and a half. Uh, the Mids are 1-1. One one. They're coming off a 24-0 win over Wagner at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis, Maryland this past Saturday in a game that was delayed twice for a total of an hour and 32 minutes due to lightning in the area. Uh, Wagner is an FCS school. Not a ton to take from this game, but among the things that did stand out, Navy head coach Brian Newberry going into the game with a plan to play two quarterbacks, starter Ty Lovatai and backup Blake Horvath. Newberry ended up playing three quarterbacks uh, due to the game being a blowout. Lovatai did play for the majority of the game. He was good. He went 8-13 for 161 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions, took no sacks, and he had 16 carries for 65 yards. But again, Wagner is an FCS school. Uh, Memphis is not an FCS school. The Tigers are 2-0, a season-opening 56-14 win over Bethune-Cookman on September 2nd, and a 37-3 win at Arkansas State last Saturday evening. Uh, Memphis has a third-year starting quarterback in Seth Hennigan, who last season carved up Navy. 
September 3rd, 2022, Navy lost to Memphis 37-13 in Annapolis. Hennigan in that game, 24 of 34 for 415 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. Uh, The Mids did sack him four times, but the Mids also allowed him to average 12.21 yards per pass attempt and a quarterback of Memphis offense that went 9 of 15 on third downs. Uh, Navy has a lot to prove about how good it is this season. Give me Memphis minus 14 and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Yes, sir. Thank you, Snoop Dogg. And more from you, more from the D-O-double-G on Goldilocks on Friday's show. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 657. We'll provide you with more on the Commanders as we will get you ready for the Commanders game at the Denver Broncos this Sunday afternoon at 425, including rhyming keys, my keys to a commander's victory in rhyming fashion. Uh, Also on Friday's show, we'll talk college football. We have Navy at Memphis Thursday night at 7.30, so we'll discuss that game. And I have Goldilocks, my college football previews and picks against the spreads. We have Virginia at Maryland Friday night at 7. We have Virginia Tech at Rutgers Saturday afternoon at 3.30. And I on Friday's show, we'll talk Nationals and Orioles. The Nats on Thursday afternoon at 12.35 of Game 4 of a four-game series at the Pittsburgh Pirates. The O's on Thursday night at 7.15 have Game 1 of their big four-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. So have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. I'm a little bit more process-oriented.